With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Maddie, so, uh, yeah, I'm in the chair this week. Great to have your company uh, on SEN 1170 on the podcast if you're listening as well or around the country on the app. It's a... Uh, and if you're not in Sydney, it's a beautiful, bright morning in Sydney. There's no clouds in Sydney at the moment, even though they said on the weather they're partly cloudy. Um, I can't see too many on the horizon. It's going to be nice and warm, and the sun's going to be out all week because there's no cricket. There's no test match, of course. It is a beautiful summer's day, and there's plenty of summer sport to talk about. And over the next three hours, we've got some great guests on the way to talk a bit of cricket. With Phil Jakes, we've got uh, John Fitzgerald to talk some tennis, and we've got Ben Graham to talk NFL, it's the last day of the regular season. But uh, with the cricket, damp ground, dead ground, grounded catches, clouds finally cleared. Too late for a result in the Sydney Test. Australia finished the summer, though, winning four out of the five tests they played. The Big Bash is showing more than a few signs of life. Our women's cricketers have been at the top of their game and they've got an international series to come. And they signed a, like an $8.7 trillion TV deal to go into the next decade as well. So wouldn't you call that a pretty decent summer? It has been a decent summer for the sport of cricket. And we'll discuss that a bit later on with Phil Jakes. And to come, we'll have a little bit more of an in-depth review of the Sydney Test. Tennis, Novak, he wins again. Are you happy that he's back in the country? 0457 736 736. Well... Personally, I don't mind him being back in the country and I can't see him being beaten for the Australian Open, especially with Carlos Alcaraz, the world number one, the uh, Spanish teenager having to pull out of the Aussie Open. And last night, Novak won his 92nd ATP Tour title. Incredible. From match point down as well. And there's a list of eight tournaments he's now won of those 92 that he's won after being down a match point in that tournament. So... uh, yeah, if he's not the king, he's very close to it. And I can't see him being beaten at the Australian Open and leaving Australian shores in a bit of a happier mood than 12 months ago with the world number one ranking and a 10th Australian Open. The women's draw is wide open. There's been some pullouts in the Adelaide International to come this week. It was going to be a good field, but Naomi Osaka's not coming down. Not entirely sure she'll ever pick up a racket again. But uh, yeah, the women's field wide open with Ash Barty no longer there. But Novak, he's the number one. When it comes to the men's side, football FA Cup, we'll review a bit of FA Cup. Garan Kual, uh, the young Socceroo, he's on the move as well. The big club stagnant in the A Leagues, staying in the UK. Well, we're going to talk about this when it comes to Prince Harry. Absolutely nothing about Prince Harry in the uh, next three hours. So if you want something about Prince Harry, Go to the FM dial and, um, yeah, fill your boots over there. So uh, looking forward to um, not even being inv- – uh, not even caring about the interview later tonight that's going to air um, the screens and everyone infiltrating uh, the lives of others through the royal family. Wonderful stuff. NFL, that's what we're here for. We're here for sport, and it's the business end of the NFL. It's the, the meaningless, meaningful stuff about life. That's what sport is. And uh, the NFL – well, Damar Hamlin, he watched, and it was a heartwarming story for he, literally, and the Bills – because the Buffalo Bills won this morning. So we'll go in depth 
with that. Uh, our man Mark is in here. He's um, he's all over it, and we'll get to his team as well, who played the Bills. He wasn't too happy he's throwing his hat around the office this morning watching that. Rugby League, Selwyn Cobbo. Well then, yeah, a bit's been talked about there, but we'll get to Selwyn and uh, replay his, his grab about his opinion of Kevy Walters. We've got the golf in Hawaii. Who wouldn't want to be in Hawaii playing golf Right now, well, the best in the world on the PGA Tour are not the best in the world full stop because some of them play live golf and that's coming to Adelaide in a couple of months' time. But, uh, yeah, the PGA Tour season starter in Hawaii or the calendar year starter in Hawaii right now. It's happening. We'll keep you up to date with that throughout the course of the morning. And we'll have a a new set. Matty doesn't do this, but I just thought may as well do it. It's called Human of the Day and it'll be – Someone who was either born or passed away on this particular day. Today, we're going uh, with someone who was born. And this is a little hint that the path will head down for human of the day. Can we just play Zeppelin all morning and I just won't talk? How's that sound? No. Few people might be happy with that. No, we'll uh, we'll get to that a bit later on. Uh, the human of the day, but to to start things, we'll go. We'll rehash some of the top stories uh, that are uh, making headlines right now. And of course, top line by Australia drawing the final test, not winning the final test. Couldn't take those fourteen wickets on the uh, on the final day. They just fall short of a series whitewash. Gave it all they could. Uh, Phil Jakes, as mentioned, will be along a little later on to talk about what happened to the. Uh, SCG pitch, why it wasn't turning sideways like a lot of people thought it would. Finally, South Africa with the bat show a little bit of gumption, if you like. And David Warner, controversially named player of the series, 213 runs across six digs, averaging 53.25. But one of them got 200 of those 213 runs, but he got man of the series. Who would you have given player of the series to? Let us know on 0457 736 Seven three sixteen Elgar. He goes away from Australia. Not exactly his greatest series, put it that way. Um, statistically, the first, fifth worst opening batter on Australian soil in one hundred and thirteen years. That ain't a great list to be on. And uh, we'll talk with Phil a bit later on about the soft signals from the umpires and also who goes to India. So, what is the composition of the Australian lineup? When they get to India, how many pacemen did they fill up their lineup with? Their first 11. How many spin bowlers do they? Well, they've got options with some of our best batters as well. Steve Smith, of course, can bowl some leg spin. Travis Head, who was trusted a lot by Pat Cummins in the Sydney Test, can bowl his off spin. And Marnus Labashane, of course, he wants to get involved. He feels, talking to SEN yesterday, he wasn't used enough in the Sydney Test. Should have got me on earlier, boys. That, that, that was what I needed. Jeez, no one of my over was so good. Everyone was behind me. I love it when the crowd's up. So, no, it was, uh, it was such a pleasure uh, when you when, when the crowd's so behind you. You know, mm. even this late in the day, there's so many players flocking to the ground. It's uh, just so special when um, they're still up and about, even though it's two for, uh, two for 106. Yeah, Marnus. You get the feeling that Marnus would be enthusiastic about anything in life. He'd be enthusiastic about going for a net with his family members or, or whatever like that, just jumping out of his skin to be involved. So it sounds like he desperately wants to be involved uh, in India, not just with the bat, but with the ball as well. Uh, rugby league. Well, yeah, everyone, I reckon every single rugby league team is back this week and um, sweating it out and getting ready for the season. Trials are not too far away 
as well. But the uh, the main headline act over the weekend was Selwyn Cobbo. Now, this was a grab from a podcast done in October 2022. Not entirely sure how it came to be that it's making news now, but this is what Selwyn had to say about his coach at the Brisbane Broncos. He's a good person. Yeah. He's a good person, like a good bloke. But I don't think he's a good coach. Like, he's not the best coach, but he's he's all right. Like, he's... I feel like he's just a good person, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's just a good person, eh? But I don't reckon he's a he's a coach. Even that, though that's what you need, right? Yeah, but even though you know he experienced footy, you know, you know he's been through all that grand finals and all, all that. But I feel like he's he's not a coach. But he's a good bloke, you know. He's a good person, does a lot for the club and that too, yeah. Mm. But the way he coaches, it's a bit weird, I guess. Right, uh, Selwyn little hint mate he won six premierships so he's regarded as a bit of a legend the Brisbane Broncos and maybe if you've got an issue with him maybe go to the CEO of the club or just keep it in house not forget that you're maybe talking to a mate on a podcast but the podcast might be actually published that's the whole point of a podcast to get people to listen uh yeah he's gonna have a difficult kind of time of it explaining himself he might have already explained himself he might have already gone back and reflected in October and said oh maybe I shouldn't have said that and it's ahead of the game but I do laugh when uh footy players sports people people in life full stop say oh I was taken out of context how (laughs) those words taken out of context and it's weird that especially sports people they use the term I was taken out of context if you're listening back there, do you say to your partner when something is misconstrued about what you said, you've taken me out of context? Like, is that a is that a heads up play? If you say to them, that was a crap present. Oh no, I didn't mean it. That was taken out of context over Christmas. Um, or you say to a mate, uh, his missus or his her bloke or his bloke or her missus, they're no good, no good at all. Oh, I'm actually still with them. Oh, sorry, I was taken out of context. Or his, her cooking is crap. Oh, no, no, it's just tasted a bit weird. I was taken out of context. It's it's only when <laughs> it's only when moments like this occur, especially in the sporting field, it's quite weird that they lean back automatically on their, I was taken out of context. I cannot see how that was taken out of context. It was, what's Ke- is Kevy a good, or what's he like as a coach? And come up with that as an explanation, it's um, yeah, pretty set in terms of what was said there from Selwyn. But good luck, Selwyn, with the chat with Kevy Walters in the coming days. Tennis, Novak Djokovic wins again, defeats Seb Quarter in the final of the Adelaide International. It was down there in Adelaide and there was nothing but love for Novak. Uh, um, the Serbian community in particular, which is pretty strong down there in Adelaide, as it is in a lot of... Uh, Australian cities, um, given the expats that now live here after, you know, uh, conflict forced them away from their homeland in the 90s or uh, a lot of um, a lot of people from that part of the world came to live in Australia before then in the 60s and 70s. But uh, Novak, the point is that there were a stack of Serbian flags around the place. A lot of them had his face on those flags as well. Like here in Australia, we're known for, I don't know, what was it in The Simpsons? There was a boot put on an Australian flag and that's how we were summed up. Well, for Novak, his face is on the Serbian flag. And they absolutely love him. He came back uh, from match point down against Sebastian Corder to win last night. It's now the eighth title he's won 
after being down match point. 07 Vienna, Basel, US Open famously against Roger Federer. He was down match points and he went on to win that in 2011, all the way through to Wimbledon as well in 2019. Again against Roger Federer, down match points, comes back to win the title. And now again here in Adelaide, just uh, a few of those eight that he's won from match point down. Uh, eight of the 92 titles he has won. He's incredible when it gets down to um, the business end. And uh, this is what he had to say about his match point record and winning in Adelaide. Statistically, I've been um, lucky to, to win more of these kind of matches. And of course, the more you win um, these particular matches, the, the, the better you feel. And I think, I think it, it gets to the head of your opponents more as well. So that's what I want. I want them to, to know that... You know, uh, regardless of the scoreline, I'm always there. I'm always fighting to the last shot and that I'm able to turn things around. So, of course, going into the court with anybody, uh, knowing that they know as well uh, what I'm capable of is, is of course, um, advantage. Statistically, I've been... Every player... Uh, on the men's circuit knows exactly what they're going to get with Novak Djokovic, especially when it gets a bit difficult. And the amount of times that he breaks players late in sets to either win sets or fight back in sets. He did it again yesterday against Seb Korda, who's a very good player. He'll be a seed, the big American at uh, Melbourne Park. And, a, and I reckon he's a bit of a chance to make the second week, but Djokovic is the one. He is the absolute favourite. As mentioned about the women's, even more open right now. I don't think Naomi, Naomi Osaka was going to contend anyway. She's barely played any tennis in the last 12 months, but she is out. And, um, yeah, she won't be coming to Australia, unfortunately, the two times winner of uh, the Australian Open. So another bit of a blow for tournament organisers without Carlos Alcaraz as well. But once the tennis starts, which it does actually officially in about 10 minutes' time down in Melbourne with the start of qualifying Monday start for the qualifying down there at the Australian Open. We'll keep you up to date with a few of the Aussies in action. There's a stack of Aussies trying to qualify. They have to win three matches to get through to the main draw. And the main draw, if you make the main draw, you are guaranteed $106,000 this year. That's the first round prize money, and it keeps on going up and up and up the more matches you win. As for uh, a bit of football, as mentioned, plenty happening both at home and abroad. This was incredible. I don't know if you caught this on the weekend. It was on Saturday evening at Allianz Stadium. Sydney FC somehow, uh, well, they looked to be out of it against Wellington until the 95th minute when they got not one but two penalties. And this is what happened. Kicked into the box by Wood, away by Tim Payne, who's been everywhere along with Scott Wooden. And it comes towards Lafondra, and Wooden's there again. Rather pain this time. They're pointed to the penalty spot. Another controversial decision. Lafondra against Sale. And Sale makes the save. Incredible. And I think justice has been done. Justice has been done. We're looking at a post-penalty save. Handball. That's what I'm being told. I do not believe it. A second penalty for Sydney. After two red cards issued. LaFondra again. He's seen one effort saved. Might be the last kick of the game. And he's he's put it over the top of the bar. I see it, but I do not believe it. Great call from Simon Hill there. uh, And that's thanks to Network 10. But, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, it places... More pressure on Steve Corica, um, one of the good guys in, in football, but results not happening for Sydney FC uh, on a consistent basis. They're uh, out of the top six at the moment. It's a complete disaster if they miss the top six 
again after missing it last season. Yeah, Adam LaFondra still feeling a bit down about missing two penalties in injury time to sell something from that game against Wellington Phoenix, who finished the game with nine men. It was, uh, yeah, pretty hectic there at Allianz on Saturday. So Sydney currently on eighth place on 13 points, second worst defensive record in the league, 19 goals conceded. And it wasn't great for the A-League men's in a wider sense on the weekend because Nani, the uh, the Portuguese superstar who came to Melbourne Victory with big hopes this year of getting a few more people through the gate. Well, we know what's happened with Melbourne Victory and understand the sanctions will be officially handed down at the at the end of this week for Victory for uh, their fans storming the field at the Melbourne Derby before Christmas. Well, Nani's blown his ACL, gone for the season. Uh, lurching from one bad news story to another, unfortunately, in the A-League men's. Uh, and yesterday also, uh, MacArthur, too good for Newcastle. And in the A-League women's, Western Sydney Wanderers got their first win of the season over Melbourne City. We're off to a break. We're off and running on mornings with Adam Peacock this week. Back with your calls and texts after this. 0457 736 736. And welcome back to Mornings with Adam Peacock. Great to have your company. There's a bit of sport happening at the moment because it's daylight hours or going into prime time over in the States. We've got the golf, the uh, the calendar year opener in Hawaii. So we'll keep you up to date with that. Colin Morikawa had a, a comfortable lead heading into the final day. But the, the big ticket item over there at the moment is uh, how the playoff picture looks when it comes to uh, NFL. And to tell us more is... Uh, man who knows all about NFL because he's played in the damn thing. Uh, joining us right now, Ben uh, Ben Graham. Ben, thanks for your time, mate. Great to have your company as always. Um, mate, how's the picture look this morning after today's matches? Oh, fascinating end to the season, week 18, last week of the regular season. Well, what we've basically seen in this week 18 so far is split into two. This morning's window is all about the AFC and the AFC playoff picture and the game's underway right now and the Packers-Lions game at lunchtime will determine the NFC. But what we saw this morning was the AFC playoff picture finally settled. We knew that the Patriots had to win to clinch their playoff berth, but unfortunately they fell short against the Buffalo Bills. 35-23 was a final result there. That meant that the Miami Dolphins had to win And they did just that. It was a low-scoring, ugly sort of a game, but the Dolphins did just enough to edge out the Jets 11-6. So it was the Dolphins that clinched the sixth seed, um, sorry, the seventh seed, and the Steelers were the other team in in contention this morning. Even though they won, they beat the Browns 28-14. It was the Dolphins' win that sealed their fate ultimately, but so the AFC playoff picture is now set. The Chiefs finished the number one seed after their big win uh, yesterday over the Raiders. They've got the first week by. So we'll see the Bills host the Dolphins. We'll see the Cincinnati Bengals host the Baltimore Ravens. They've just finished the game in week 18, which the Bengals ran out winners on that game. And the Jaguars have won six in a row. They beat the Titans yesterday to win the AFC South, and they host the Los Angeles Chargers. So the game that they're playing at the moment really means it's a dead rubber against the Denver Broncos. So the AFC player picture is all set, Adam. And we'll stay in the AFC for a moment uh, because the, the the big story, which went global, obviously, and, and went well beyond um, the NFL, was DeMar Hamlin and uh, collapsing on the field after that hit to the well, the heart region. 
um, in his previous game. So the Bills, this was their first game. How much emotion was involved in all of that? And do we know if Hamlin was watching and, and how involved he got um, with the Bills before the game and, and during? Yeah, it was a tragic event, obviously, but um, at the time, everyone was waiting for that positive sign, um, not only for DeMar Hamlin, but for his family, his teammates, the organisation and the NFL. Uh, We didn't get that positive sign until midweek, but he's all reports. He's sitting up in bed. He's watching the game with his family. He tweeted before the game. And I'll tell you what, the emotion in Buffalo... And the love and support, not only from Buffalo, but we saw it in Cincinnati. We saw it right across the league. We saw celebrations right across the league for DeMar and number three and for the Bills franchise. So it was a a great example of a sport coming together in what could have very well been tragic circumstances. The first responders on the field effectively saved his life on the field, in the ambulance and again at the hospital. So... He's doing well. He's on his way to recovery. And that emotion in Buffalo, it's the start of that game. The New England Patriots kicked off to Naheem Hines, the kickoff returner for the Buffalo Bills, and he ran it back 96 yards for a touchdown. There was not a dry eye in the house or anyone watching because it was such a storybook moment for the league and for the Bills and obviously for DeMar Hamlin and what he's been through. Naeem Hines ended up with a second kickoff return for a touchdown as well, which helped the Bills to that win. But I think what the NFL did with cancelling that game and proposing all the different scenarios, I think it's played out uh, well in the fact that the Bills were able to win their game, the Bengals were able to win their game. It hasn't affected the standings in the AFC. The Bengals will host the playoff game. The Bills will host the playoff game because the Chiefs, in their own right, won the number one seed. So all in all, it's a, it was a good good result from such what could have been a tragic situation. Over to the NFC. So, um, yeah, it's confirmed Philadelphia, Dallas, uh, New York Giants, who are getting pummeled at the moment by um, Philadelphia, uh, 49ers, um, Minnesota, Tampa Bay. So Tom Brady at the age of 807 is playing in another playoffs. Um, and one of Seattle, uh, Detroit and Green Bay. So that match later on has has a huge bearing on, on the picture there. Well, it certainly does. So to really put it simply, if the Philadelphia Eagles win against the Giants, they lock in the number one seed. Jalen Hurts is back for the Eagles. They're leading 13-0 at the moment. They're in the red zone. They're likely to go into halftime with a three-score lead. The Giants, they're locked into the number six seed regardless. And they've rested a number of their starters, quarterback Daniel Jones, running back Saquon Barkley. So it's basically going to hand the Eagles the number one seed on a platter, which if they did lose that game, the 49ers were in contention for the number one seed and so were the Dallas Cowboys. But if the Eagles win and the 49ers hold off the Cardinals. The 49ers will finish the second seed. The Vikings will be the third seed. And the Buccaneers, by virtue of winning the NFC South, with a losing record, mind you, eight and nine, the other three teams in the NFC South all finished seven and ten. But the Buccaneers will finish the fourth seed, which 
then it doesn't matter what the result is for the Cowboys. They'll finish in the fifth seed, the Giants in the seventh, sixth seed, and then we've got the seventh seed playoff. So in that situation, if the Green Bay Packers beat the Detroit Lions, the Packers make the playoffs. For the Lions to make the playoffs, they have to beat the Packers and rely on the Rams to beat the Seahawks, which is underway at the moment and six all two-minute warning before the half. And for the Seahawks to make it, they have to beat the Rams and have the Lions beat the Packers. So that's why we won't have finality on the NFC player picture until that Packers-Lions game is played, kicks off at 12.20 today. So I'm sure all eyes will be on that. So we're almost set. We've nearly got all the answers to the questions on what has been such a fascinating year. But And then we reach the playoffs. And arguably next weekend, the first week of playoffs, now that we have seven teams in each conference, is the best weekend of football in the NFL because we'll have six total playoff games over two days, Sunday and Monday next week. Can any team win it, Ben, or is there one one or two teams absolute favourites or one from the NFC, one from the AFC that you can identify that say that makes you think it's a bit like the tennis? Well, Djokovic and Nadal are going to play back in the day in the in the final, definitely, or, or Federer and Nadal, definitely, they're going to play. Is it that scenario or is it wide open? Well, it is it is wide open. And I've always said that I think the Super Bowl winner will come from the AFC because the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals are all fantastic offences. If their defence can come to play, I think that one of those three teams will win the Super Bowl. On the NFC side, well, the Eagles have had a 13-1 and start to the season. They've dropped the last couple of games without Jalen Hurts. But I think it's the San Francisco 49ers from the NFC who have run, won nine games in a row that, are, that can be trusted the most. People aren't sure yet about the Eagles or the Vikings. Definitely not. A, I don't think the Buccaneers can advance past week one of the playoffs and unsure about the Giants. And even, I think the Packers, if they make it, will scare a few teams. But again, the playoffs are a funny thing. I think, though, that the strength lies in the AFC and it'll be the one of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, Josh Allen and the Bills, or Joe Burrow and the Bengals that'll lift the trophy at the end of the day. But they're all worthy playoff teams. So funny things have happened, but I'm certainly looking forward to it nonetheless. Just before we go, mate, um, I want to get uh, the, the picture on what happened with the number one draft pick because uh, David Mills has thrown a touchdown pass and I'm not sure if his owner at the Houston Texans has come down and you know slapped him over the head for coming up with a miraculous play because that play has cost the Texans the number one draft pick, which now goes to the Chicago Bears. Um, is Like we've seen that in AFL where you know teams have actually tanked to you know, get the the number one draft pick, is it a huge thing over there in the NFL to to get that? And has Mills basically done himself out of a job in uh, his job prospects in the future um, uh, a little less now, given his spectacular play? Well, it's a great question, and we saw it two years ago when the New York Jets won a meaningless game, which cost them the number one pick, and they would have picked Trevor Lawrence and avoided the debacle that they're in now by picking Zach Wilson up, second pick overall, who doesn't look like he's got a future there in New York, and Trevor Lawrence has just taken the Jacksonville Jaguars to the playoffs. But in this case, 
what happens is the players that are playing don't buy into any of the tanking talk because they have got careers to play for, roster spots to play for, not only for the team that they're playing for, but the other 31 teams they're putting plays on tape in terms of a resume. But from a Houston Texans perspective, they've got to know that the Chicago Bears, even with the number one pick, won't be drafting a quarterback because Justin Fields looks like he'll be their franchise quarterback of the future. So, yes, they won't get the number one pick. If they did, they'd pick a quarterback, I believe. But with the Chicago Bears owning the number one draft pick who won't need a quarterback, they'll still have the opportunity to pick up the best quarterback in the draft with their number two pick if they go that way. So it's not all lost on the Texans, but watching that game, and it was an exciting game for a game with no playoff implications, but with the number one pick riding on it, it, there were six lead changes. The Colts, who have had a disastrous year themselves, only winning the four games, were in a winning position. The fact that the Texans went for two and not forcing overtime, I think, was a good decision. But ultimately, uh, I don't think it's going to cost the Texans. They'll still pick up the best quarterback in the draft if they choose to do so. No worries. Thank you for clearing that up. And, um, yeah, hopefully Mills isn't too, in too much trouble this evening in uh, in Texas. Mate, uh, Ben, thanks for uh, bringing us up to date with the NFL playoff picture. Exciting time for uh, plenty of people around Australia who love this particular sport. And, um, yeah, enjoy the next couple of weeks, and we'll catch you soon. Go on, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Ben Graham uh, talking NFL and whatever you bet on, that was all thanks to Ned's. Take it to the Ned's level. Gamble responsibly, though. Call 1-800-858-858. Back with your calls and texts after this. Don't forget the text on 0457 736 736. This is Mornings with Adam Peacock. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Um, Mark, you, was that cathartic in any way, the uh, NFL segment from Ben Graham there, just to get you over the disappointment and look forward to the playoffs without your New England Patriots? Well, the playoffs are going to be great. Of yep. course they are. Like, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, mm. it's, it's that kind of nice thing of knowing you can enjoy the rest of the games when your team's eliminated. Is that silver lining? At least I'll get to enjoy watching. Hang on. Don't you enjoy it with your team in? Oh, I much prefer, but I'm trying yeah. to find the silver linings, oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. Like, Ravens at Bengals is going to be a great game. Okay. Like, and the Bills absolutely destroying the Dolphins yep. going to be a great game. Are you are you one of those that will now found and find another team to get oh, behind? No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm no, big no, on that no, as no. well. You Charles, can't... producer Charles, yeah. he's one of those people. Yeah. Like, second he, team. He, he's a Bucks fan. Even though he's a Patriots fan, he'll now be supporting no. Tom Brady. One of, those, no. one of those absolute cretins. Awful people. Yeah. They're my second team. You yeah. what? 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 You see, it's because we're both from fo- we're both football people. There's no such thing as second no, teams. Is no, no second team. I can't even have a second team in another league. No, it's like no, it's not happening. I don't have a A league team, for instance, because Newcastle United is my team in the Premier League, thanks to family heritage. My father, my uncle, centuries living, uh, peacocks living in uh, for centuries in Newcastle. Yep. I can't bring myself to get behind another club as passionately, apart from the Socceroos. But that's based on passport. I think. I think personally, for me, it's you got your club team, you got your mm. national team, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and I'm the same. I moved to Australia. I moved here in April. The amount of times I've been working in the office, and everyone's gone, "Oh, who's your Premier League team then?" I'm like, 
Who cares? <laughs> Pointless. Pointless. Can't stand them. Who's your second team? 0457 736 736. Let us know as well. Um, just more on this Sel- Selwyn Cobbo. It's a story that keeps on giving, and a lot of people on the text line just want to have a say. Um, Adam Ree, that bloke who said coaches are just man managers. That was uh, Pedro the Rooster who uh, called us earlier. Absolute rubbish, writes Matt. Uh a, player co- a, a coach coaches attack, defence, anything else. If Walters is such a great man manager, why has this stuff come out twice? So what Matt's saying there is that the coaches are there to coach. Kevy's overseeing it all, but why is it all coming out that he's apparently not a good coach? Well, yeah. I mean, anyway, you look at it, a lot of football managers going back to that sport, again, that they oversee um, matters. They're man managers. I, I noticed NFL coaches, I mean, the NFL coaching staff have – they could fill a state school, couldn't they? There's so many um, assistant coaches, offensive uh, coordinators, defensive coordinators, special teams coordinators in NFL, and the man at the top is the overseer of those coaches, coaching the coaches, overseeing the players, man management, all of that. I think Kevy is along those lines that he's he likes to be a man manager because he is such an affable human being, and he lets his coaches help him out a lot on the coaching uh, coaching park, so or or the. Um, or the training field there for the Brisbane Broncos. So, yeah, so much more to come with that story, I dare say. And uh, it would be interesting to see the response from the Broncos this week if there is a response. I wonder if it warrants a response full stop. Back in a moment, you're with Mornings. Just clarifying Matt's text from before the break, Adam, my point was while Robbo is very hands-on, he's involved in attack, defence, man management, etc. He's talking about Robbo at the Roosters. Sorry, Matt, didn't quantify that, but... Yeah, I wasn't sure who you were talking about when you just said Robbo. I'm not on a first name basis with Trent Robinson and didn't exactly know that you're talking about the Chooks. So thank you for that clarification, Matt. And hey, guys, my second team is whoever's playing the Roosters. That's from Shane on the text line. Colin Morikawa, five shots clear at the uh, the Tournament of Champions on the PGA Tour. We'll wrap that one up a bit later on. Plenty to come in the second hour, though. And welcome to Sydney listeners on SEN 1170 for the second hour of mornings. Adam Peacock in for Maddie White. And welcome to Queensland listeners as well on SEN 1620 AM on the Gold Coast and SEN 693 AM in Brisbane. Great to have your company and great to bring you up to date with uh, everything that's happening in sport. We've got the NFL on at the moment, Philadelphia Eagles against the New York Giants. Uh, That's happening right now. What's happening? Oh, Philly giving it to the Giants who have rested a few in that one, 16-0. And we've got the golf happening over in Hawaii, which looks almost as good as Sydney this morning. Sorry to those uh, listeners in southeast Queensland. I can't see out the window to see what it's up out there. I'm sure it's beautiful up there in Queensland, but here in Sydney, uh, the sun's out because the test is over, of course. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be nothing but sun all week. Colin Morikawa in the golf in Hawaii, five shots clear ahead of Max Homo, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick and John Rahm as well. Adam Scott, well off the pace. He's the lone Australian in that event, which is the Tournament of Champions, rejigged a little bigger field to open the uh, calendar year on the PGA Tour because they're responding to a lot of uh, what Live Golf are doing. And just when I was down in Adelaide last week as well, the Live Golf, it's coming to Australia in April uh, at the Grange. There's already 50,000 tickets sold for that event, the Live Golf event, which has caused a bit of controversy. It's Saudi-backed, of course. Greg Norman at the for- forefront of it all. It's going head-to-head with the PGA Tour 
at the moment, but it looks like it's going to be a big event there uh, in a couple of months' time down in Adelaide. Uh, we're going to recap uh, a lot of the uh, the cricket and the tennis this coming hour. We've got uh, Phil Jakes joining us, former Australian Test batsman, uh, to talk about what happened at the SCG and looking forward to the India series, which is less than a month away. Actually, it starts in one month exactly today in Nagpur, the, the first test, February 9, that test. So the, uh, the squad will be announced in due course and We've got a big bash to keep us occupied as well. And also the tennis with Novak Djokovic winning the Adelaide International um, just on uh, the United Cup, which was the the new event, new teams event, men's and women's involved. Um, Jessica Pagula will be happy right now, Mark. Do you know why? Why will she be happy? She is part of the American team that won uh, the United Cup. She's top five women's player in the world. Her family own the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills. Kim Pagula. And the Buffalo Bills got it done this morning. What over, a dynasty. Yeah. Over the New York, uh, over the New England Patriots. So once again, reiterating that Mark is a big Patriots fan. And every time I mention that, he gives me death stares. So sorry about that, mate. But yeah, um, yeah, Jessica Pagula, interesting link there to the NFL. But uh, yeah, the Australian Open qualifying gets underway this morning. There's a stack of Australians involved there. Young players, a lot of young Australian players involved in that draw because they get um, wild cards into it. It was a big uh, big play for the last Australian men's wild card um, spot in the Australian Open, and it went to John Millman in the end, which meant Alex uh, Vukic and also James Duckworth ranked around the same, have to go through qualifying, and it's cutthroat qualifying. Three matches you have to win to get into the main draw of the Australian Open. Um, yeah, not too far away, though. We'll discuss that with John Fitzgerald, um, former Australian Davis Cup Captain, but before that, we're going to get into uh, something that I'm introducing, and maybe Maddie can continue it in 2023, or maybe he won't. He might not be bothered with it and doesn't think it's a very good idea, but I do anyway. It's um, human of the day, and today is, and human of the day will be all through the week, and it's someone who was either born today or sadly passed away today. I'm going to go glass half full. I'm going to say born today because it is. Quite remarkable, given the life that this guy has lived, that he's actually celebrating a birthday today. And we're not talking about him being a former member of planet Earth. And I'm talking of Jimmy Page, who is uh, a member of Led Zeppelin, not just a member, probably the founding member of uh, Led Zeppelin, one of the most famous bands in the world. Now, Jimmy Page was the lead guitarist, but he wrote a lot, lot of the songs. And one of them, probably the most famous rock song of all time, along the lines of the famous, mo- most famous rock song of all time, is this one. He wrote this. That's him. It goes about 18 minutes. We won't play the whole song. I mean, I could just put my feet up, couldn't I, Mark, and just say we'll play the whole song. That's Stairway to Heaven. So Jimmy Page wrote that. That was one of the his um, his most famous songs. Led Zeppelin's probably most famous song. What does it go, about eight minutes or something like that? Yeah, it's on mine. It's seven minutes, 54. I've got the full version here if you want to play it. But <laughs> 7.54. Hutchie's in the building today. I'm not sure he'd be over, <laughs> overly impressed if we just played that and went to the pub. But... Um, yeah, Stairway to Heaven, the, the, the knock on that was, it's a fair knock <laughs> as well, that if you played the chorus backwards, that it worshipped Satan. Yeah. And the word was around the time Jimmy Page was into this guy called Alistair Crowley, his teachings, he's into paganism and all those dark things. And he actually bought 
house that was previously owned by Alistair Crowley, but he didn't live in it, and it, he gave it to one of his mates to live in. But he said 20 years later, you know what? Actually, I reckon it was haunted and Crowley was still still hanging around. <laughs> I think doors were slamming in the, in the middle of the night. Thing. So, yeah, Jimmy Page was, um, yeah, uh, into those kind of things but didn't really go on about it too much. But weird things happened with music in the 70s. Another thing about Jimmy Page, along uh, thanks to this song. <laughs> Now that's a good rock song. That's a good rock song. That's a whole lot of love. Won't go into great detail about what the song's about, <laughs> but yeah, the, the word inch is used and there's a whole lot of love and it's all about, yeah, you know. Well, that's how we got, all got here, procreation, wasn't it? So uh, he actually wrote that riff or established that riff while he was living on a houseboat on the River Thames. So he's at the houseboat, he's yeah. at the haunted house. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a <laughs> different kind of dude. Not just, you know, two up, two I, down, you know, just kind of basic. Suburbia. He was the lead guitarist in the of most like famous the, rock uh, band, arguably, of all time, like hard rock band of all time. So he wasn't going to be like, you know, a priest. Yeah. He wasn't living the, the, <laughs> the quiet life, if you like. And then the third song I'm going to play you from Jimmy Page, celebrating the human of the day, Jimmy Page turning 78 today, somehow turning 78 today. Great to have him still with us. But uh, this one. They went a bit softer. Led Zeppelin. This is on one of, I think it was their third album. I think they didn't get outlandish with their the naming of their albums. They just went Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin two, Led Zeppelin three, and then their fourth album they didn't even name it. Like, this is the Rain song, and this was like a oh I bet you can't do that type story. George Harrison listened to a lot of their music, loved a lot of the, the famous Beatles, loved a lot of their music, Led Zeppelin's music. He said, oh, I bet you can't write a ballad. So they come up with that. I said, bet we can. Where was Jimmy Page living when this song was? I'm not sure, oh, okay. actually. I'm not sure. In a tent in the woods, was he? Ma- maybe song, some hotel yeah. throwing a TV out of it. Or maybe on his own plane, his own yeah. jet plane. They had their own Boeing 747 or, or Jumbo uh, Led Zeppelin when they were at the height of their fame. Of course, it all ended for Led Zeppelin in 1980 when John Bonham, who was regarded as the greatest drummer of all time, mm-hmm. um, passed away at Jimmy Page's house. I'm not sure which house it was. Okay. But he um, he went to bed pretty drunk, uh, John bon- Bonham, one night and didn't wake up, unfortunately. And they found in the in the report, uh, the autopsy, that he had the equivalent of 40 vodkas in his system. That's a bit of drink. Yeah. How about we play um, Stairway to Heaven, Mark, we head over, over and have a few vodkas. <laughs> Come back to the, <laughs> the second half of the show. We've got enough time. <laughs> so that was our human of the day, Jimmy Page. That'll be a feature of the show mornings this week. Uh, just getting away from sport a little bit. We'll, we'll dive straight back in. We've got John Fitzgerald to talk some tennis after this. Yeah, welcome back. Um, just a couple of texts on the text line as well. Uh, human of the day we had before the break. Um, human of the day uh, is me, Peacock. Happy birthday, me. Brett, happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday. You share it with Jimmy Page. How good. Now, if you were born tomorrow, you would have shared it with uh, Frank Sinatra and Rod Stewart. So that rules them out for being human of the day because it's going to be a surprise. So I've already said it. But uh, famous time of the year for people born. And though Frank Sinatra was born a day after Jimmy Page, and Rod Stewart was born a year later as well. Anyway, that's um, 
That's irrelevant stuff right now. Uh, don't forget Cashmere, Adam, as well. Yes, of course, Cashmere, the song. Uh, recently discovered by someone in TV sports departments. <laughs> Played once or twice. Played once or twice. Paramount there. Thank you uh, for that um, yeah, succinct point and very true point as well. So, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we'll have Human of the Day later in the week. We've got tennis as well. Um, Matt texts in uh, just on tennis. How's Nick's fitness? Well, I'm not sure. I haven't seen Nick. Nick, anyone seen Nick? Is he in Canberra? Is he in Sydney? I'm not sure. Nick Kyrgios, of course, he's talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, how's Nick's fitness? I'm sure when you were in Adelaide, you got some mail without Alcaraz. We uh, need a thriving Nick at the Aussie Open, Matt. Uh, it, Nick Kyrgios was meant to play second week of Adelaide, but pulled out with the ankle injury that he picked up or said he picked up at uh, playing the exhibition in um, in Dubai. So, yeah, he uh, he will not be playing any tennis at a competitive level before the Australian Open. But I reckon he's good enough to rock up and still be okay. I Personally, I reckon he just wanted a bit of a rest. It might be a little ankle niggle, and it's fair enough if he wants to look after himself. But um, down in Adelaide, there, were, there wasn't too many miffed tennis players saying, oh, he's doing it again. They were like, oh, no, you look after yourself. You do what you have to do before an Australian Open. So, yeah, he uh, he will be there at the Australian Open. wonder if he's going to play a little warm-up um, set or two at Kuyong this week. There was uh, rumours that he was going to play Djokovic, his new best mate, in a couple of uh, couple of sets at Melbourne Park this week as a warm-up. But rest assured, Nick Kyrgios will be uh, will be at the Australian Open. Joining us right now is a man uh, in Adelaide for week two of the Adelaide International. Um, saw him for a couple of days there last week. I'm sure he'll agree that Nick Kyrgios will rock up to the Australian Open unless he's got mail otherwise. John Fitzgerald, uh, former Australian Davis Cup captain and player and uh, long-time player on the tour back in the day as well. Fitzy, morning, mate. Um, do you reckon Nick rocks up? There's your answer. It's about the same as what my thoughts are about the Prince Harry uh, book and <laughs> thoughts on that as well. Just having a few issues establishing the line there with John Fitzgerald, but uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Just a reiteration of Novak Djokovic as well, what he was able to achieve last night in winning his 92nd uh, ATP Tour title. Equal now with Rafael Nadal, only Ivan Lendl, Roger Federer and Jimmy Connors ahead of him on the list of most tour events one it's quite incredible have we got uh, fitzy no not yet mark sorry yep you're the boss in here you're pressing the buttons fair enough too um djokovic he came back from match point down against american sebastian quarter now uh quarter is a very good player he's, he's a young player he's um he's a rising player on the men's tour he is just outside the seedings based on rankings last week, but with his result getting through to the final in Adelaide, he'll be a seed and he'll be one to watch out for in the coming years as well. He's had a few injuries, but he's got back on tour of the young American. He had match point against Novak Djokovic, but as Djokovic does, he holds on and then he turned it all around and got it done in a thrilling third set over three hours on court. It was really hot last night as well. So he'll need the break. He'll need to chill out. Uh, for the week in uh, in Melbourne, Novak Djokovic, he'll just play some practice. Uh, he won't play an event this week. He'll get it going for his run at a 10th Australian Open title. Andy Murray, what do you reckon, Mark? Oh, is he back? Has he got hips? He's he got, got any hips. Has he got hips? Yeah, he's got a metal hip. A metal hip, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I, I absolutely love the man. Yeah. I, I mean, as a Scotsman, him winning Wimbledon for the first time was incredible. Mm. It was great to see. And it's a real shame because he's not, I don't think he's ever going to be back. He's mm. never going to be back to the way he was. It's, not, it's just not possible now. No, he had a good chat to him down there, actually. He said, oh, yeah? uh, what is success for him now? Well, he still thinks he's got one big run at a major left in him. Okay. Now, a big run for him is, he, he said, he doesn't know how it feels um, if he gets through to a quarterfinal or semifinal, if it's, that's as good as making a final, it's obviously not as good as winning a Grand Slam, which he's done three times, US Open and two yeah. Wimbledons plus two Olympic goals. But he feels that maybe getting inside the top 30 is great, but a quarterfinal or semifinal run could be as good as making a final with two good hips. Do you think it has to be Wimbledon? Like it can only, like he, he needs the energy, he needs the crowd, he needs the atmosphere to... Yeah, go through. it has to be has to be a Wimbledon for him to. That's the only major he can really win. I think so. Yeah, I think it's too much of an answer a hard court given the, the pounding that the body takes. Wimbledon is so good. It, like Wimbledon, you get there and it takes a few of the the top players out because they're just not as comfortable on grass. So it opens up the opportunity. He knows how to move on grass. He's he's extremely good. I'd be interested to get uh, John's thoughts on this a little bit later. Emma Raducanu. Mm-hmm. Who won the U.S. Open? Incredible, like one of the one of the greatest tennis moments in British tennis history. It's to come from that low down and, and to win the whole thing in the U.S. Open is incredible. And she's kind of not not to say kind of she has dropped off dramatically since then. She's had more coaches than Led Zeppelin have had groupies <laughs> or houses. Yeah, or houses <laughs> as well. It's it's incredible the amount of coaches she's gone through, Emma. Since that, she's injured again. Yeah. So I don't know if she's going to rock up. She got injured uh, in the lead-up event in Auckland. Yeah, I think she week. was in Auckland, wasn't she? Yeah. In Auckland. So left the court in tears. Really sad story. But, yeah, it hasn't gone her way. She just hasn't had any stability in her professional life. Now, the, the knock on Emma is that her dad is heavily, heavily involved in everything. Okay. And the coaches can't see eye to eye, and they just end up walking away or getting the, the bomb from the dad. So, yeah, pretty sad. Because Jing is going to take her dropping her dad then as it was to as like the the guy who's in charge of everything for her to finally get something a bit more stable or it's very hard to sack your family yeah, I, well, yeah. <laughs> dom, impossible, you dom's in here now as well producer dom how are you mate good mate how are you going it's uh my yeah. official producer debut today official debut official debut by myself just me and mark mark's helped out heaps he, he's oh, thank god mark's here because this is my official <laughs> debut on the mornings as well so for the whole week so thank god we've got the, the two uh, rookies going out just blind and mark's come in set us straight you know he is the real coach you know yeah, yeah. he's Look, all over yeah yeah he's, yeah, he's all over it. He, he's a great bloke and a great coach just sounds like you're passing on blame if something goes wrong now that's all that feels like <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah essentially right mark told me everything i know so if i mess <laughs> oh, up god. it's all mark's fault yeah. Got a really long text here from Simo from Balmain about coaching and about hands-on, what's hands-on, what's coaching, what's managing. This is from um, Simo uh, says he's a great rugby perspective where the coaching programs are not dissimilar to rugby league. The head coach will create the program that includes game style, attacking, defensive components, the appointment of strength and uh, conditioning specialists, and of course, the hire of specific specialist coaches. In preseason, the head coach will usually oversee the sessions may become involved in tweaking certain areas. You'll spend time with rehab guys, discuss progress with the medical specialists. It's a significant job description. It's much more than man management, which in itself is a ridiculous expression. A great coach will build relationships with players, his family, uh, family, 
and his staff. That's from Simo. It's a really good breakdown, actually. Really interesting. It's yeah, you, you take it for granted. You go, oh, the coach. He, he obviously he's, he's lost the dressing room. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, it's it's much more than that. It's almost like a a CEO of the if you want to just like the pin it on football CEO of the football department. If you like, he's got to oversee everything about it. Salary caps become involved as well. It's a it's not an, a black and white job description of you're the coach and that's it. Yeah, not at all. And I think, uh, I can't remember if it was Steve Kerr or Doc Rivers was saying in the NBA, coaching is literally babysitting to a degree <laughs> because you've got so many big players. These are world-renowned players and they've got the biggest egos in the world. Mm. So it's about keeping them in check. And then also you've got, like you said, just about everything else. You are basically running the club, coaching it. And then at the end of the day, if the performances aren't going right, well, then it's your head on the table. Yeah, Mark, Sir Alex Ferguson was a famous manager. Yes. Not so much a coach, but a manager, mm. yes. was he not? I think it was that Carlos Quiras was the assistant manager at Man United for, and Mike Phelan for a while. They were the assistants at Man U for almost Alex Ferguson's mm. entire run. Rennie Muhlenstein as well, who yeah, was Mullenstein. involved in the soccer. And these guys are incredible tacticians. They know absolutely everything. Fergie's there to show you what's what and make sure you mm. know what's happening. It's, it's, he is pure man management. Oh, he had some tactics. Of course he did. But like... The day-to-day stuff, he just needs to make sure those players where they need to be. On more than one occasion, Sir Alex Ferguson would call a player in on a Monday and say, after the game on Saturday, son, where were you? Oh, I went out with a few mates. Um, Don't do it again. 4 a.m. return home isn't great. He, Ferguson was in contact with all the main nightclub pub owners around Manchester Knew where he'd get the little intel on the Sunday morning or Sunday. And, yeah, oh, this player was out. This player was there. Everything like that. He was like a human CCTV camera. I've got a great Fergie story. So I used to work back in Scotland with some guys who used to play for Aberdeen when he was the manager of Aberdeen. And this player, guy called Steve, he was very young. He was 18. He was on the bench for Aberdeen mostly. But he was in, in that Aberdeen squad under Alex Ferguson. And after the game on a Saturday, he would do that kind of thing you just said. What are you doing tonight, Steve? What's your plans of the night, Steve? To make sure that, he, hoping that he wasn't, and Steve Cowan's an 18-year-old boy, he wants to go out on the town in Aberdeen, he's <laughs> big guy in town, wants to go out for a drink, and he, but he obviously says to Fergie, oh, nothing, boss, quiet one in, just, you know, just, just, just ch- chilling at home, watching some TV tonight, you know, you know Fergie, and Fergie goes, oh, great, you're babysitting for me tonight, and he, <laughs> <laughs> he got the players, his home players, to babysit his kids, so that he could go, so that Fergie could then go out and have a couple of red wines. Is that smart, or is that Asking for trouble on the home front. Who's in charge? Uh, yeah. Who's in charge? <laughs> exactly. Fergie's in charge. Yeah, and that's, that charge. shows it right now. And he wasn't, he wasn't asking. Mm. You're babysitting for my kids tonight. That's it. Well, Kevy's kids are grown up, so I can't imagine. <laughs> Kevy's kids are older than <laughs> Selwyn Cobbo, so maybe the grandkids. Does Kevy get Selwyn Cobbo over to look after some grandkids if he's got any? I'm not sure if he does. Steve Walters, his brother's up there as well in, in Brisbane. Um, does Kevy – I wonder if Kevy's got a direct line to the Normanby or the uh, or or just Fortitude Valley, all the establishments down yeah. there. If he's if he's staying across things, but um, yeah, it's uh, I, I wonder how it's going to play out this week. If if the Broncos already know about it, or if you know, it's this is new to them and they have to deal with it. Well, just back on Kevy, he's got a son who plays at the Broncos. Yep. So maybe he's going, hey, Selwyn, you know, Billy's at home this weekend. You want to just go hang around, yeah. you know, a couple of Coke Zeros and stuff at, at my house, but. So in regards to Cobbo, he's one of the brighter young talents in the NRL. He's got a big, big future at Brisbane for Queensland and for Australia. Yeah. It's just weird how it happened in October and no one picked up on it. 
Mm. I'm not trying to discredit the no, value of the not. podcast or anything like that, but yeah, I wonder who's gone back to a podcast in October or if maybe uh, I'm not. Dom, I'm, can you do some digging? I will. Yeah. If I'd, possible. Can yeah. you find out why we're hearing about this now? Yeah. I'm thinking, well, you are a, you, you work for Fox Sports. Maybe they've had it in the archives and gone. Let's play. I used to. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> no, no. Great time for an ad break. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd love to know why it's, yeah. why it's come up now. Well, maybe you could do some research. You got any people that you're still in contact <laughs> with over there? Well, I've got to interview Phil Jakes just around the corner. So I'll try. In the meantime, I'll try and do that as well. Fair enough, Don. Throw it straight back at me. And just one from Greg on the text line as well. How quick has this year gone, writes Greg? It's already the 2nd of April. Um, the day after April <laughs> Fool's Day when David Warner won Player of the Series. Good, ch- uh, good shout, Greg. Very good shout. Um, I can't quite work out how Travis Head missed out on that. He set the tempo when we had, the, like, fantastic. I thought he deserved it. Maybe Steve Smith as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And Bulldog Bob as well. Hi, Adam. Just on Sebastian Corder. He comes from pretty handy sporting family. His father and coach, Peter Corder, was a top-notch Czech tennis player. He won the Australian Open in 1998. Mum was a top 30 player. Both his sister, Jessica and Nelly, are top players in golf. Nelly currently ranked two. Sebastian could be a young guy to watch. Bulldog Bob, yes. Seb said, my goal is to become go up the rankings in my own family. So uh, Peter Corder got to number two in the world. His mum, Regina, got to number 26 or 25 in the world on the WTA Tour. Uh, Nelly, number two at the moment. Jessica, number 18 on the women's golf rankings. Um, Seb is inside the top 30 now, but I don't think he's got, he's still ranked number five of the quarters and that's his goal for 2023. Go up in those rankings. Here's some news. Phil Jack's around the corner. And we're back with mornings with Adam Peacock. Got to talk some tennis right now with uh, John Fitzgerald. We've established the line once, uh, once again, Fitzy morning, mate. How are, how are things down in Adelaide? They're yeah, good, Adam. Uh, you should know well. You were uh, dominating proceedings here a week ago, but look, we, we miss you, you know. And uh, but the tennis has uh, made up for it, Adam. It's been pretty extraordinary uh, first week here in Adelaide. Yeah, I, I miss you too, and I miss the crew as well. Apart from Wally, who's joined you, but you, you know, no, nothing's perfect, is it, Fitzy? Nothing's perfect. No. No, and, and Wally is far from perfect, by the way, Wally Masur. <laughs> but uh, apparently he is coming this week. Um, he's had a little COVID and, and he's trying to get over that. And uh, we don't want him here while he's got it, by the way. So uh, he may not show this week. Anyway, it, look, I'm looking forward at some stage during the summer of seeing him. Eh? Yeah, exactly. You're two old mates catching up once again. And I look forward to being in the vicinity so I can listen to you two go at each other. <laughs> hey, last night, uh, something extraordinary again from Novak Djokovic. It's it's not so extraordinary when it comes to Djokovic because we almost expect something like this, especially when he's match point down to to find a way. He does it again. Uh, what did you make of it all, his yeah. win over Seb Corder? Look, he, he has a lot of assets, doesn't he? Um, uh, probably as many as we've ever seen in a male tennis player before. And and one of one of those assets at the top of his list, it probably goes a little unnoticed, I think, sometimes. He has this innate ability to, to just play uh, his best tennis, like extraordinary points, at the right time. And he, he's done it throughout his whole career. Um, there are a number of times in big matches where he's been down match point uh, and then fa- found a way to win. And last night was the same. He Corder uh, pl- made him play a, a pretty exceptional point when he was match point down, uh, Novak. So young Seb Corder nearly got the win of his life to date. 
um, but nearly is is not over the line. And he, he got a lob up awkwardly in the match point, and somehow Novak got back and hit a very unusual uh, high-quality smash for a winner on the match point down. He, he, he finds a way because he's a great champion, and um, geez, good to watch him. But, but I was so delighted also, Adam, with Sebastian Corder. He's a player of the future, and uh, he's one of the new breed. He's got a lot of, uh, well, he comes from a good gene pool in terms of sporting ability. Mm. We know that. His father was an Australian Open tennis champion and um, his mother a very, very good player as well. So and he's got a couple of sisters that are not bad at another sport. Uh, they're pretty good at golf. So, so look, um, it was an extraordinary night um, and a lot of atmosphere and the crowd was full and the new stadium just set everything off. It was, it was a great first week. It certainly was. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you about Seb Corder because he's he's got such a calm demeanour. Nothing phases him. Obviously, a few things going through his head when he let that match point that match point slip last night. Whereas Djokovic, he was getting a little edgy, especially when he lost the first set. He he told his agent to go away, go and watch the match somewhere else, which happens from time to time. Um, I don't know how the discussions have been this morning, but um, did you notice that courtside? Oh, I absolutely did. Um... I, I don't speak that language and uh, I don't know exactly, but I had a fair idea of what was being said um, <laughs> without understanding a word, actually. But no, he was very anti for some reason. I don't know why. Um, you know, it, it's a new season. He, he's Every player has his, no matter how good you are, every player has his own issues to deal with and pressures. And he's got a very high expectation of himself and wants to win every match he plays, obviously. And uh you know, after he went down a set, he, he did um, lose his cool a little bit. Um, but being the, the incredible professional he is, he got himself together and defended that match point late in the second set and then went on to win. And Corder never never wavered. Uh, to, uh, he was so impressive, the youngster. He's only 22. And he, well, he took his disappointment so well. And I always say the young players, they, their best tennis is good enough. But sometimes their worst tennis, there's too big a gap between their best tennis in the course mm. of a match and their worst tennis. And But his didn't falter. He he didn't drop off at all. He, he soaked up all the disappointments that he had to endure during the match and and continued on that same high level that he, he displayed in the first set. So, look, I was I couldn't have been more impressed with him. I, I, even if he'd won that match point, I mean, he, he, he actually was able to show us other assets because he actually lost it. So... Lost that match point. So look, he's got a big future, and uh, he's pulled out this week. He's he's obviously had enough tennis before he gets to Melbourne, and uh, but he's a player of the future. And and look, Novak is Novak. He he's he's just an incredible competitive beast who has all of his bases covered. It seems with 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 his talents, and uh, he's extraordinary to watch. Yeah. Hey, just with that, um, you, you mentioned there Seb Corder's pulled out, and fair enough too. It, it's getting the prep right for the Australian Open. There's no point in in um, cashing all your tickets this week, the week before a, a major. Uh, would, what do you make of I'd, – I'd hate to be a tournament director the, the week before a major. Now, Adelaide have already had a great week. They've got another one this week. Should they rejig the schedule a little bit, like slide the days a bit further back to get it away from the Australian Open, or too hard? Look – I don't know how to fix the issue of the players want matches, Adam. Obviously, they if they don't if they lose first round or second round, they want another tournament the next week. If if they do well and they get through to the final uh, of of a tournament the, two weeks before the Open, then they tend to want to rest that their body to 
so that they can recuperate, you know, recuperate all their energy. So I, I think it's an impossible uh, task to to get it right. The, the the beauty of this week, though, in Adelaide is that there's um, a, a large number of the top 20 women. Um, I think it's 14 off the top of my head yeah. uh, out of the top 20 that are that are in this tournament in Adelaide, which is an extraordinary level for a 250. Um, uh, on either the men's or the women's side. Uh, the men's tournament this week is not as strong. Obviously, we had uh, Djokovic and, and Medvedev here to, to headline, as headline acts in the, in the first week in Adelaide. So it's really difficult to get it right. But the bottom line is there's been an extraordinary number of world-class players that Tennis Australia have found a way through amalgamating, you know, the United Cup and then, and then the men's ATP events here and the WTA events the women here in Adelaide, have found a way to give most of these world-class players uh, enough match practice before they go into the major. And I guess, in a way, that's that's sort of their objective, you know, it's so that all of these great players don't hesitate about coming down to Australia before the Open starts, and then and then obviously participate in the first Grand Slam of the year. Do you reckon Nick plays the Australian Open, Fitzy? Curious no, I. If you don't know, I don't know, Adam. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what he'll do. Yeah. So fair I don't enough. know how else to answer. Yeah, no, no, that's that's fair enough. But what you will see this week in Adelaide are a lot of um, the, the the other Australian players, like the guys like Thanasi Kokonakis. I think he's playing Popperin in the first round tonight. You've got Jason Kubler, who who went pretty well in the uh, United Cup. He's down there trying to get some points and some, some coin in the pocket as well, and yep. a few on the women's side as well. So the, those those Aussie players that we really like getting behind in week one of the Australian Open looking to refine their uh, preparation. They are. Those those three men you mentioned all had wildcards here because their rankings weren't quite strong enough to get in. Um, two of them play against each other. Popperin plays uh, Kokonakis tonight. Uh, the winner of that will play Rublev, uh, the top seed on the men's side. Um, but But, you know, Jason Kubler has really... Uh, made me smile. He's brought a smile to my face the last year on how uh, a young guy who's had more than his fair share of injury problems in his early career has found a way to finally make it on the men's tour. And, and look, as an Australian, I feel so proud of him. He's, he's, he's always been a, a modest young guy who hasn't never asked for anything. He's always been um, giving his best at all of these events. And finally, he's He's actually found a formula uh, that, that that has produced confidence in his makeup, and he's he's beating world class players, and he wants to be on the bigger stage. And um, so, if, if if some of your listeners haven't seen Jason Kubler, please make a point of having a look at him during the during the summer. And uh, fingers crossed, he can he can go. Uh, I don't know about deep into the Australian Open; that'd be great. But whether he can win a few matches and get his get his name out there and and earn that coin that can launch the rest of his career because he deserves it. Yeah, I've, I've actually, um, thanks for leading into this. It's a nice little segue into my uh, my day job, which is codesports.com.au. Um, I've done an article with Jason. I caught up with him yesterday and he's he's talking about that, that the little thing that he's got to manage now is that he's got a bit of coin in the bank. Uh, he's got a nice watch, not a Rolex like yourself or Wally or anything like that, but it's a nice watch that he's, he's bought himself. But apart from that, he's got to invest in his career because – the six knee operations that he had, which crawled his, his, his start on the senior tour. Wimbledon last year, 
his check for making the fourth round after qualifying was $330,000 Aussie. Now, that sounds spectacular, yeah. but that now funds – he's got to reinvest that to fund his kind of co-existence, I should say, on the on the tour with a coach and maybe a physio. Yeah. Well, look, you, you know, I, I guess sometimes I think I'm looking over my shoulder and defending the sport a little bit, Adam, but um, the numbers are confusing in tennis. Um, they always have been. Um, when when people talk about prize money in tennis, they uh, and I won't go too deep into this because it's too long a discussion, obviously. But but there there is a very top heavy formula in mm. tennis, and I, I, I've always been an advocate of trying to adjust that formula, not not completely turn it on its head, but have a more indexed approach to prize money, because tennis is a game where quite often the same players win. It's a one on one sport. You know, if you're a golfer and you're ranked 80 in the world, I think it's fair to say uh, that, that you have a chance of winning a major. In tennis, that, that's not so. It's a rare, rare thing that only a young player who we haven't seen much of could, could give a, a, like a Boris Becker years ago in 1985 when he won Wimbledon. You know, he was a player on a shooting star and yeah. he won Wimbledon and we didn't know. But generally, players can't go to the latter stage. So the same players keep winning the lion's share of the prize money. And so when a young player like Kubler makes 300000 for one, uh, one successful week at Wimbledon, people go, wow, that's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, and it is. It is a lot of money. But, but it's not like a football franchise where all of their expenses are paid. You know, you, mm. you can have a... I know I'm being a bit long-winded, mate. Forgive me. But I, I know in, in a team sport, you get X amount as your base salary and then there's, no, there's not really the expenses. For a tennis player, it's completely different. So someone like Jason Kubler hasn't had any money his whole life uh, from tennis, really, because everything he gets, he has to spend. And now there might be a little bit of excess on top of that that he can actually put a little bit in the bank uh, and try to then fund more of his career to do better still. So it, uh, sorry to dwell on that, but he... He does need to invest now, and uh, and he will because he's got that attitude, and it's a great attitude to have. And I, I wish him the best. He, he he's a good young player still, and uh, I hope he plays for another half a dozen years at the top of the game. No, you bang on, and it's really interesting how it actually works. Because you're right, you you look at a a prize check and you go, wow, that's great. And then there's tax and there's all those expenses and it, it costs a bit to get around the world. Fitzy, we're going to leave it there, yep. mate. But look forward to your commentary. Your uh, your erstwhile comments, I'm looking forward to. Your knowledgeable, um, you know, the, the passing on of all that great depth that you have as well, courtside and up in the commentary box this week in Adelaide. And I'll catch you in Melbourne for the Aussie Open. Yeah, look, you're way too kind, Adam. Thank you. Um, uh, and uh, it's good to talk to someone who really has a, a keen interest in all sports, mate. Thank you. And uh, don't compliment Wally too much this summer. Can I? Can I just suggest that before I leave. You didn't have to say this summer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to talk to you. You too, Fitzy. Thanks, mate. John Fitzgerald joining us, uh, former Australian Davis Cup captain, now commentator as well, great player back in the day as well. Won a a Davis Cup or two as a player. And, uh, yeah, you'll hear his voice and plenty others on the uh, the commentary across uh, Channel 9 and, and Stan Sport across the summer. We're off to a quick break on Mornings with Adam Peacock. Uh, back in a sec. Yeah, welcome back. Adam Peacock with you this morning. Stream every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com. An update in the playoff picture, which is becoming a little clearer. Uh, Seattle 13, 
the Rams 16. Seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. If Seattle lose, then the winner of the Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, just after midday our time, Eastern, a little before midday up there in uh, Brisbane and southeast Queensland, will go into the playoffs. So what if Seattle win, Mark, just quickly? If Seattle win, the Lions are out. Lions That's are out. Gone. Only then Green Bay only Green, And if Green Bay win, then they'll go ahead and set to Seattle. Right. So Detroit... Detroit All of Detroit Seattle. are behind yeah, the Rams. Seattle is, yeah, Detroit need the Rams to win. Okay. Clear as mud. There you go. NFL playoff picture, and that's all thanks to NFL Game Pass. Uh, visit nflgamepass.com. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, and earlier in the show, we had our humor of the day, which was Jimmy Page, who turned 78 today, the Led Zeppelin lead guitarist and chief songwriter as well. And uh, happy birthday, Jimmy Page. Song remains the same. Gazza, Macquarie Fields, sent with loud effect. Gaz loves his Led Zeppelin. Not alone there, mate. A few people around the world didn't mind it as well. They sold like something like 200 million albums. That's a lot of albums. No wonder he could have lots of houses, Jimmy Page. <laughs> Anyway, uh, third hour, we've got Phil Jakes on the way. So um, he was a member of the SEN Test Cricket crew, and he's going to recap everything that's happened and look ahead to the India tour as well. We've got a bit of football chat and a um, bit more Selwyn Cobbo. Dom's gone digging. Producer Dom, he's got a new seg. It's called Dom's gone digging. He's going to get to the bottom of exactly, or try to anyway, what is going on with Selwyn Cobbo and the Broncos. Back in a moment with Mornings. Welcome back to Mornings with Adam Peacock in for Matty White, of course, summertime. So Matty's off on some beach somewhere. I think he owns his own beach anyway. Uh, one man who's just uh, having a day off now from a few days at the SCG where there wasn't a hell of a lot of cricket. There was enough, but uh, we wish for more. Phil Jakes, part of the uh, SEN crew there. How are you, mate? Morning, Adam. Hey, uh, what did you make of it all then? Uh, not able to take those 20 wickets in quick time still we, we took 12 in pretty quick time the Australian team but uh, did you feel let down walking out of the SCG last night or was it probably fair enough given all the uh, inclement weather for the SCG test yeah I was a little bit underwhelmed in the end um, it was I, I, I got to the ground expecting um, you know expecting a result I, I felt like 14 wickets uh, on a wicket that was starting to, to wear and tear um, was definitely possible. It was always going to be a case of Australia having to take all of their chances. Um, they did drop about, I think they dropped four catches. I think they were hard ones, but there were there were opportunities to, to crack the game open. And unfortunately, just on um, on the day yesterday, Australia just didn't take those opportunities. And um, and then the game kind of fizzled out a little bit into a, into a draw, right? I actually felt like the pitch was starting to take shape and um, we were sort of getting back to some um, some of the SCG of old where where it was spinning out of the rough. They probably just didn't turn enough off the straight um, to really cause problems and um, you know and, uh, and we just didn't get the ball into that into those rough areas and, and get the decisions that we were looking for. There were I think four soft signals of uh, not out by the umpires where. If he'd given them out and then it had been reviewed, it would have been out. Um, unfortunately, the, the umpire was er- the umpires were erring on the side of caution and gave them not out. And, um, and unfortunately, um, the umpire's call went up on the on the big screens. Yeah, yeah, that Nathan Lyon one. If that's backyard cricket, <laughs> Uncle Bob ain't staying in. He's out. He's uh, he's plumb. So that that LB he's one. He's walking. Yeah, <laughs> he's gone. Hey, just on the wicket. So you know the SCG like the back of your hand. Um, it was undercover for, it felt like, half the test match. 
was that the thing that held it up? Because I've noticed in some dispatches this morning, it's, oh, the wicket was dead. It was, you know, it was typical SCG lifeless wicket. Or was it because it was undercover for, you know, almost two days pretty much that it, it kind of nullified the, the pitch breaking up? And maybe if they played today, it would have, would have turned sideways. Yeah, bang on, Adam. That, that's exactly what that's exactly what it was for mine. Um, the SCG wicket it needs sun on it and it needs wind on it um, to dry it out. That's the unique nature of the SCG wicket. Um, it always has been. Um, when it's under cover, it does hold together. It keeps the moisture in, uh, and it just didn't go into into fast forward like we like we can see when when that wicket does become dry. Um, yeah, so I mean, like I, I actually thought the while it didn't look like a, an unbelievable wicket, um, I actually felt like the ends especially were how they should be. Um, there was some really good exposed soil. Uh, and I think had the covers not been um, on for uh, that day and a half, I think we would have seen it really break up. And it may not have even gone five days, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think I think Australia did a decent job. Um, I thought they played some good cricket throughout the series. You know, some really impressive performances, particularly with the bat, um, but also with the ball in hand. And um, I think it bodes pretty well for um, for the Indian tour coming up. Yeah, February 9 is the first test in Nagpur when it gets underway. Australia-India or India-Australia blockbuster series. There's another blockbuster series later in the year for the Australians with the Ashes Tour and potentially it's looking likely a World Test Championship game as well against India. So you look at, Phil, the uh, the lineup for the Australians, if Green and Stark and their big ifs at the moment, if they're ready for February 9, what's your 11? Is it, do you go with three quicks at a place like Nagpur or do you have to play two tweakers? I think Nagpur is probably the one venue where you have to play two spinners, potentially three spinners. It, it really does turn there. Um, so, I mean, I think Travis Head showed some really, really good signs um, as being a potential third option. So whether we need three out-and-out spinners, when you have Travis Head, Manus, Lavashane, and also Steve Smith that can bowl part-time, or you pick two and those part-timers, which would then allow you to either play three quicks and two spinners and carry that six if it looked like a flat wicket, or if you wanted to bolster your batting, you play an extra batter um, and uh, go in with two and two. I think in an ideal world, green plays, and then, um, and then you've got your batting and your bowling covered. Um, I think that's that's how Australia will go. Um, I think uh, they went a little bit conservative in this particular game, I thought Australia, and I think in hindsight, had Australia either lost the toss and had the bowl first on it, um, or if it had actually deteriorated how they thought it would. Um, uh, sorry, if it didn't deteriorate how, how they thought it would, which is sort of how it played out at the back end of the game, mm. um, then Australia was probably one quick short on that wicket. Is Aston, Ashton Agar the, the second spinner, if you do pick two specialist spinners, or is there someone else in, in shield cricket? I've, I've seen Todd Murphy's name thrown up, a few others as well that uh, might leapfrog him after... What on the basis on face value looks like a an underwhelming return for for Agar from the SEG test. Yeah, I mean, I mean there were factors for for why I think Agar wasn't effective. He didn't generally get the choice of ends, um, being the second spinner. Nathan Bold at the at the end that was deteriorating the most. Um, he um, he uh, he wasn't getting a lot of turn. He, the consistency wasn't probably where. 
uh, he would have liked it to be either. Um, there was a, you know quite a few bad balls. He missed a rough a fair bit. Um, so I think there's there's probably more questions than answers from the Sydney test for in regards to Ashton Agar. I think he would be effective in India. Um, and Australia will definitely want somebody that can spin away from the right-hander, uh, whether that's whether that's Ashton Agar, uh, Kuhneman or Swepson. I think mm. there'll be some, one of those guys will play, and and I think Todd Murphy will 100% tour. Uh, and I think if there is if there is a case where we have three um, three spinners, I think Todd Murphy will play. Um, whether they play Lyon and Murphy in the same team as two spinners. I think that would be a gamble in that they both spin the ball the same way. Um, but Todd is such a um, such a talent. I think I think he'll get his opportunity at some stage in the Indian tour. Hey mate, what's a catch and what isn't a catch these days? Can you quantify it for me, please? I'm a bit confused. Oh mate, I've been talking about this for five days. Literally, <laughs> it, it, it kills me. It kills me. It, it the whole the whole thing that frustrated me was the ruling around soft signal. Um, you know, you've got you've got umpires that are on the field um, that are 30 metres, 40 metres away, sometimes even more if it's an outfield catch, uh, having to give a soft signal to the third umpire. So he's already have to, has to form his opinion based around what the umpire on the field has said, who who is clearly unsure because that's why he's gone upstairs. So that's the thing that frustrates me about the soft signal is that we, we have umpires that are unsure about whether it's a catch. We go upstairs, and then the third umpire has to adjudicate based around the fact that there's a soft signal of out or not out um, and has to prove otherwise. And that, for me, when you've got a catch that is you know, already a question, is flawed because nobody really knows except for the person that's caught it, and sometimes he doesn't even know if he's got his head turned away. He feels it go solid into his hand, and he feels like it's out. And maybe the flip side, the side of him who, who are a little bit biased. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I personally think they've got to trust the technology. If they go upstairs, we 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 take it as face value that nobody really knows what's happened. Let's have a look at the camera, see if there's definitive information, and if there isn't, give it not out. That's that's how I would go with it. Um, give it give the benefit of the doubt to the batsman if if there is if there is doubt, and mm. um, and if not, just trust the technology and. You know, it's a little bit the same, I think, with your with your LBWs and the, um, you know your Hawkeye technology. You either trust the technology or we don't. Mm. Um, so many umpires' calls where you know you look at the vision and you look at the the technology and it's saying that it's hitting the stumps. Well, if it's hitting the stumps, it should be out LBW. And um, the fact that the umpire is giving it not out, whether it's half the ball or whole ball, it shouldn't matter. If it's hitting the stumps, it's hitting the stumps. Mm. Um, but I think the reason why we have the rules in place is because the technology isn't 100%, and um, you know they need to invest in in making that so if they can. And another one out of the last few days, and it was wasn't just confined to Australian soil. Uh, the light situation. So can you see it being like we're, we're, I don't think there's a human on earth that watches Test cricket and is happy with the way it is at the moment. I think that the only people that are probably pretending it's not happening are the rules makers can you can you see it actually changing in the next 12 18 months the the way that they interpret what is bad light and what is good enough light to play cricket in well the issue that i have is that um the light meters don't actually measure artificial light either so they measure um the amount of uh natural light 
So the the actual artificial light is improving the vision and the and the light that is there, but it doesn't pick up on the light meters. So I think they need to invest in in fixing that uh, and actually and seeing what what actually is the light like, whether it's artificial or or normal light. What is it like for the batsman? How do they how can they actually measure that? And if the lights aren't good enough, and we're playing day night cricket with a white ball under lights, then we need to we need to upgrade the lights and make them good enough to be able to play with a red ball. Um, we need to just look at ways of how we can maximise playing time because, um, you know, the Sydney test was one that, that was really, really stood out because we went off for light, we went off for weather. It, it was almost like we were trying to find excuses not to be out there. And, uh, you know, and there's so many paying members and paying paying uh, paying fans that are coming to the games that, that are missing out on some really good test cricket. and. You know, I left I left the SCG like everyone else. I think really disappointed that um, that that game didn't go down to the last hour because I thought the stage was set for there to be um, a really good game of cricket. And unfortunately, a day and a half of of um, being off the field has really cost uh, what should have been a, a famous Test match. Mate, you've uh, no doubt looked out the window like I have this morning and. Notice nothing but uh, blue sky and no problems with the light rain <laughs> this one. And it's going to be like this all week. Of course it is. Of course it is with the SCG test now. Uh, we, we had the best weather before and the best weather after. It's, it's just been really unlucky, but that's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, I was in I was in Adelaide uh, last week and telling everyone who wanted to listen who liked their cricket, oh, like, you should have seen Christmas. It was great. And they're looking at me like, hey, whatever, pal. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Phil Jacks, thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate you wrapping up uh, the, the test summer. It was a successful one for Australia, of course. We shouldn't lose sight for that. And uh, all eyes on India now. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be um, going to be a fantastic tour. And I can't wait to, um, to tune in and watch it myself. Likewise. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Good on you. Thanks, mate. See ya. Yeah, great to have your company. Uh, we've got Dom in the studio. In a moment, we'll get to uh, Dom's gone digging. Uh, he's he's hunting some of the big stories that are happening around the place at the moment. Just on the text line, good morning, Adam. Paul from Hurstville. Could you ask Phil to name his top five Australian cricket captains of his lifetime? Unfortunately, I just got to that, uh, Paul. I missed that when I was chat- chatting to Phil. But next time I get him on, I'm going to put it in my brain, Paul from Hurstville, to ask him absolutely um, of his top cricket captains. But I reckon Paddy Cummins is... Is going up in the rankings wherever he is at the moment. He's uh, he's trending the right way and not the wrong way. Um, had a good start to his Test captaincy career. Um, not a great last couple of minutes for Colin Morikawa, one of the best uh, golfers in the world, especially with an iron in his hand. He's gone in this huge event in Hawaii, the Tournament of Champions. His first 67 holes of the event, he's had zero bogeys and... He's come up with three in a row to drop off the pace. John Rahm has, has gone so far nine under for the round. He's gone to 26 under. Morikawa has dropped back to now two off the lead with a couple of holes to play, running out of time. So exciting finish coming in the golf. But for now, I think you've even got some music for this one, Mark. Did you not? You've, here we go. This? The production values here on mornings. So Pink Panther, Sleuth, Dom, Sleuth, Gone Digging. It's officially called... Dom's gone digging. There's a tenuous link there to the music into the intro. Dom, producer Dom. Um, the Selwyn Cobbo case. So give us some more info. Give us some more depth to this story. It's not simply a case of player thinks coach can't coach. There's more to it. Wow. Selwyn Cobbo 
much like me, is digging himself into an early grave at the Brisbane Broncos because mm. it has been revealed in the last couple hours that Selwyn Cobbo left at half time during the Brisbane Broncos season defying clash against the Parramatta Eels. Now they were down, I believe, 31 to 6 at half time. Cobbo wasn't playing, he was rested by Kevy. And I put that in quotation marks, rested, because now that all this has come to light, I feel like it wasn't arresting. Anyway, he said he left. The club is uh, unaware that he left. He snuck out because players have to watch their team play, and he went out at halftime because they were, quote, getting flogged. That's the, like, he went out because they were getting flogged. A direct quote, because we were getting flogged. Wow. 31 to 6 is a flogging, but you don't leave your team, do you? Yeah. And then, so that was start of September, was it? Just putting the timeline together here. I think it was the second last week of the season. Okay, so end of August, start of September, around that region. Yep. October sits down, does the podcast. Kevy can't coach. January, for some reason. Did you get to the (laughs) bottom of this? How far did you dig, Dom? Have you found out why it's come out now? I I can't get to the bottom of it. But I promise tomorrow I'll listen to the podcast in depth. I'll I'll listen to the full podcast and I'll see if it was taken out of context, Mr. Cobbo, because Reese Walsh happened to sign there as well when it looked like it was in contention for the fullback slot there at the Broncos. So I don't know, maybe uh, Cobbo's lining a a move up to the Dolphins possibly. Maybe, maybe. It's what is it, a month today, Mark, you were saying that the first NRL trials. It was the Warriors versus the West Tigers, month today. Okay. Yeah. It's good that the West Tigers are getting going early. (laughs) And the Warriors, to be fair. And the Warriors, to be fair. So I'm... I'm of the, this is away from digging. I'm of the opinion that the Dolphins won't be as bad as everyone seems to think they will be. So, what are you thinking, predicted Finney? Like, if you if you had to put your, your crystal ball out, where are the Dolphins finishing? I reckon they'll be a really hard team to beat. Wayne okay. Bennett will set them up as a team that defensively will be bang on. Yeah, I can see them maybe just missing the eight. Wow. Wow. I don't uh, think I think it's just the easiest thing in the world to go last. Yep. It's like we do with the Warriors pretty much every year. <laughs> all the Tigers. Last, all the Tigers. Yeah. Last. I I I don't know. I just, I just I don't mind their pack. I don't mind what the experience that they've got. They've obviously got a lot a lot of young players up there that which they've had to do because they've missed out on all yep. their big ticket items, but he spent a bit of money on their pack, the Bromwich boys, obviously. Um, Mark Nichols who, you know, he's just an effort player. Absolute effort player. Uh, Felice Cafusi, yep. he's got a few detractors around the place, but <laughs> he's a hard-edged player. So I, I, I can see them winning a few games and surprising a few people personally. The reason you can see them winning games is also the reason I can see their season not going as well. The pack mm. is very old. That is my main concern. And the squad is weak. It is mm. just, look, it's, it's top heavy for sure. And then you just look at the other positions, the backs, it's just one or two injuries. And it's just, who do you got? You know, it's it's mm. it's reserve grade players where other teams have proper NRL ready players who are just you know buying their time in New South Wales Cup or Queensland Cup. That's my only concern. Uh, the Bromwiches are still fantastic players. Kafusi is incredible. I think Jeremy Marshall, King, Sean O'Sullivan, they'll do fantastic. It's just yeah, couple injuries and I can really see it going bad. I don't think they'll finish last either. I think the no. Warriors might be a shout for that, unfortunately. Shout out to all the uh, the rugby league teams today getting absolutely. Flogged in pre-season training. <laughs> Absolutely smashed. Anyway, good luck to you. Good luck to you. Um, what what else are we going to bring up in Dom's digging? Uh, Matt Burden, re-signing with the Bulldogs. Yep. Uh, five-year deal, which is incredible. Massive win for the Bulldogs. There was talk last year that he wanted out. He signed a one plus one. 
but he's he's agreed to stay at Belmore, and that is just massive because he is a recruiter in that sense because people want to play with Matt Burden. Mm. You see how well he did at Origin at centre, and then he goes back to the Bulldogs the back half of the season, kills it. It's it's a massive win for the Bulldogs. Interesting how good Penrith are. Usually when you see a player like that become that good, yeah. and especially at the level that he played at last year with, with Origin, that Penrith, that his former club would go, oh, wish we'd like. Now, no doubt they'd love to have kept him. But do you reckon they're losing sleep over the fact that Matt Burton's not there anymore, Penrith, given <laughs> given what they've got? That's just points towards how strong they are and, I, and how much depth Penrith have got. I think after the 2021 grand final, they definitely would have been. Yeah. Um, and during stints during the 2022 season when Luai kind of dipped in form a bit, didn't have the best origin campaign, they definitely would have been. But Luai showed up for Samoa. He was on par, probably one of the best players at the World Cup. And I think that's kind of reassured them. They got Luai Cleary locked down for a while. So... Look, if if you had to choose, you'd probably pick Burden now, but Luai's mm. just, you know, up there. Yeah, Luai showed up at Brian Toto's wedding as well, didn't he? Of course. <laughs> was he there, but not there? Or there, not there, but there? I'm not sure. You mean drove Luai's yeah. uh, wedding? Yeah. Basically, it was. Yeah, he, turned, he, took, he took the show. Turned it to his own. Hey, a uh, bit of digging on the text line as well. Um, this from Gossie, uh, an avid Bulldogs and Patriots fan, into his NFL. Now, earlier we were talking about how the, the, the Texans um, scored a late touchdown to get themselves away from the worst record, which means they miss out on the number one draft pick now. Resident NFL expert here in, in here, Mark, will um, agree with this. Yes. Uh, first time texter, Gossie, writes, long time listener, good to hear. Uh, just wanted to point out the Texans could actually miss out on the best quarterback with the second pick. Now, apparently the Texans just want the best quarterback. There's a good one looming that they could take. Chicago Bears allegedly won't take the top. Probably uh, not. The top With the top pick that they've now got, the quarterback. Um, another team could trade up with the Bears in the event that the Bears feel their number one selection would be further down the draft. Of course, the Texans could trade up as well, unlikely as the Bears, as you point out, won't select a quarterback but could be forced to. So a bit of trading going on. Like It's it's not as black and white as it seems sometimes with these drafts. No, so it's the Texans will definitely want the quarterback. He's a player called Bryce Young out of Alabama University. Mm. He's absolutely the number one quarterback, number one player. They need a quarterback to, to really get them going forwards. They're probably going to have a new coach as well, so it's going to be a big rebuild. And by losing this game, they're not going to have that chance. There are teams that are absolutely going to want Bryce Young. Mm. Um, he is going to be sought after a lot, and the Bears will trade. Bears are known. They've done it in the past. They've got Justin Fields as their their franchise quarterback. They, I think, there's a chance that the, the Bryce Young, this new player, he could be better than Fields, but it's not worth the risk right now. You know what you got with Fields. Don't risk anything. Don't unsettle it. And I think that if I had to guess, I'm saying the Jets right now. The Jets have got some draft capital. I think the Jets are going to be the team that try and trade with the Bears to get up to the number one spot to take Bryce Young. Okay. So that would be my prediction. Yeah, that's big yeah. business in it. That's. Yeah. Um... There's some huge things at stake. Well, things like the Broncos this next year, they don't have a first round draft pick. They've traded them all the way already. For Russell Wilson. For Russell Wilson. Because they're paying awful. But eight point seven billion yeah, so a year like, or whatever they're paying. The Seattle Seahawks are gonna have like two or three first round draft picks this year because they traded away they Russell traded Wilson. Away Russell Wilson and they look even better. On the Seahawks very quickly, the game, now, their game's yeah. gone to overtime. Yep. They need to win to have a chance to go through to the playoffs. Uh they'd knock out the Lions if they if they beat the Rams. It's in overtime right now, sixteen all with the Rams uh, and the Seahawks. I think with this kick, they can win the game. I'm not 100% sure. I've not been keeping up to it because I've been on there. But okay. I'll keep an eye out. Seahawks can win this and knock out the Lions with this kick. Jason Myers, the kicker. Yeah. How good a job still? The place kicker. Yeah. I think it's a uh, – yeah, it's a different – he's going to ice the kicker. So this – uh, Oh, he's 
12 metres out, you could throw it over. Yeah, but the pressure, there's a lot of pressure on that. They're taking yeah. the time out. We won't have time to. Okay, so 16 yeah. all. So if he kicks that, then that means that they're still alive for playoff and it yes. comes down the to... the Lions are out. The Lions are out. The Lions are out. And if the Packers beat the Lions... Green Bay? Yep. Yep. Green Bay go through. If the Lions win, Seattle go through. But right. we have to wait. Have to wait and see. Have to wait and see what Seattle do first. Feel like an expert now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Seattle kicked that field goal, so they... Uh, are still in the chance. Knocked... Knock the Lions out. They the might not be through out. yet. They have to hope that now they have to, even though they've locked, knocked the Lions out, they've now got to hope the Lions beat the Packers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fun way of making friends. Yeah. Uh, where's that game? Where is that it? That is, I think it's in Detroit. I'll double check that very quickly. Oh, that'll be a... Uh, yeah, it's in Detroit. Yeah. Flat atmosphere? Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're immediately just seeking revenge. Immediately, yeah. Immediately. Fair enough. Um... Welcome back to Mornings. Last half hour of the show, Julian King coming up with Afternoons. We'll check in with Jules shortly to see what he's got uh, coming up for his three hours on SEN. But uh, right now we're going to talk a little bit of football, as in round ball, as in world game, as in Garan Quoll being loaned to Hearts. He signed with Newcastle United, of course. He moved from Central Coast Mariners in the A-Leagues. And uh, looks like Dom, who's still with us, um, he's going to go to Hearts, which is just about a two-hour drive, Edinburgh to yep. Newcastle. I think I'm right there, Mark, am I? Yeah, about two hours, two and a half. Yeah. Um, I did it in two, but didn't pick up a speeding ticket. So <sighs> oh. It was late at night, though, and I was sober, so it was all good. <laughs> <laughs> just to quantify totally what was happening. But um, beautiful city, city, Edinburgh, but uh, a little bit different Terrigal in December to Edinburgh in January. So Garang, hopefully he's taken his coat. Good move. What do you reckon, guys? Oh, 100%. And he's joined by Cam Devlin, Nathaniel Atkinson. Is there anyone I'm... Corals. Yep. That's mm. it. So that's that's. I think that's the most important part for him. Transitioning from Australia to Europe, just living style can be enough to affect a player's play style on the field. So mm. good to have some familiar faces around, kind of get him into it. And hopefully next season he's back in Newcastle in the fold. I don't think so, though. He's going to be one of the best players in the SPFL. Outside of the old firm. You reckon? Simple as that. Yeah. yeah. I, wow. I, really, I really do. I, it's like, that's my, I followed Scottish football. That's the main thing I follow. I can't, there's no player I think has been as exciting than Grand Qual could be in, in the SBL. It's it's hard to think of players right now that are that good. Um, Physicality's the thing. Um, oh, he's going to get beaten up. Oh, absolutely. He's going to get smacked. But, uh, I mean, looking at <clears throat> when I was recently over there, the, the the development system in English football, they rely heavily on the Premier League 2, which is a lot of under-21s, under-23s um, playing. Garang's got a way to get to that physical status, let alone Premier League football. Premier League football physically um, intensity is easily the – or not. I wouldn't say easily. The German German league's pretty physical and, and full-on, but it, it is the most physical. It is the hardest to get your body through and, and, and cope with. So Garang's got a – I reckon he's two years off playing Premier League football. Now, I, w- I hope I'm wrong, but because two years ago this kid was playing in Shepparton. <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, playing under 16s yeah, in yeah. Shepparton. So he's jumped over every hurdle so far, but um, hopefully he can accelerate that process. But I, I do think it, it's going to be a not as quick a process as it was for him to get into the A-Legs and, and get up to speed. I think he's coming from a team like the Mariners who, if I had to compare that to the Scottish leagues the Mariners this year they're playing very well but mm. in terms of the size and the scale and the players that he's playing with it's lower level of that SPL as well like it's it's okay. the it's the Dundees it's the Dundee United's mm. Motherwell that type of level is what the Mariners are maybe even lower than that 
and I think going to Hearts it is a bit of a step up, a step up. He has good players at Hearts as well. He's not playing. He's not going to go into a team immediately be the best one and have to do it all himself. Yep. He's going to get some help at Hearts as well. Uh, unfortunately, back here in Australia, Nani mentioned earlier in the show the uh, the Melbourne Victory marquee. He's uh, blown his ACL, so he is out for the season. Um, yeah, the, the marquee signing, the one that they invested so much uh, money and, and marketing expertise in is gone as well. Um, FA Cup over the weekend. So this is the third round of the FA Cup. This is when some of the lower teams get to meet some of the big guns. Yep. Uh, when the big guns like the Premier League team and the championship teams enter the FA Cup. So third round, it's always traditionally the first weekend in January. What did it throw up on the weekend, Dom? Well, the first big upset, League Two side, which is the fourth tier in England, Stevenage taking down Aston Villa, 90th minute winner from Stevenage. And I absolutely love this tweet from the official Stevenage Twitter. This was in the 60th minute, 66th minute. They're down 1-0 and they tweet, Felipe Coutinho comes off. The substitution took longer than usual as they had to dig him out of Luther James Wilden's back pocket. <laughs> that is a lot of talk from a League Two Sledge. club on down a, 1-0. On a guy that's probably on 200 grand a year <laughs> and played for Brazil. <laughs> right. Yeah. But well, they ended up winning. They won. Uh, a bit of shocking goalkeeping there from Olsen in goals. Let it in at the front post. We watched that yeah, during the ad break there. And yeah, Steven Hitch through. So hopefully they can upset a few more teams. Uh, Liverpool 2, Wolves 2. Um, Jurgen Klopp, prior to the game, complained about having to have replays. Guess what you got, <laughs> Jurgen? Right at, yeah. And But they were lucky to get a replay yep. in the end. Very, Liverpool. very lucky. Uh, what was the VAR screens were down? Yeah. I think that was the official reasoning. But um, I, I, was it the Pussycat Dolls that had that song, Be Careful What You Wish For Because You Just Might Get It? <laughs> You're because, telling the story, Dom. Because <laughs> I remember listening to that as a seven-year-old. And, okay. And that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. So, Jürgen, listen to the Pussycat Dolls. What about some of the Pussycat Dolls um, video clips when you were seven? Has that stuck with you as well? No comment. Right. <laughs> Spurs, Harry Kane, goal, shock. Uh, Manchester United, they're, they're going from strength to strength at the moment. Everyone's happy. Ronaldo's out of their hair and all of that. So, <laughs> Hey, did you see that Ronaldo story on the weekend as well? Uh, which one? With El Nasser? So many. Is it the one about his n- partner the, being able to stay in, in guitar? No, no, not that one. Oh, okay. The, um, There's been too many. Uh, the one where he got to Saudi Arabia and they wanted to to play him, Al Nasser, his new yeah. club, who were paying him that astronomical amount of money. But then they realized that he actually had a suspension yeah. <laughs> and couldn't play. Yeah. Isn't there also an issue they have? Too many international Too many players. foreigners. Yeah. Right? So they had to, <laughs> so they have to, get rid they of had to ring one of the guys and say, oh, Cristiano's coming. Can you go away, please? Uh, yeah. So pay him out. Get rid of him. But um, so <laughs> Ronaldo, they pushed and pushed and pushed to say, and at one stage they were going to say, oh, don't worry about that suspension. We're just going to play him. FIFA, who oversee all of this, are like, uh, no, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. doesn't work like that. They, he might still be in trouble, actually, because he was <laughs> – so what they did, they live-streamed him in a – on an exercise bike watching the match, <laughs> Al Nasser. <laughs> but because he was suspended, he wasn't meant to be in the dressing room. Oh. He's not allowed in the dressing room. He's not allowed in the playing area uh, yep, yep. as well. I, I, I'm sure he'll get away with it. But, uh, yeah, interesting start to life in Saudi Arabia for um, Cristiano Ronaldo. I've done some digging. Uh, it's Vincent Abubakar, the former FC Porto striker. He was a mm. fantastic striker in his day. He's at Al Nasser now. He has not been officially terminated as of this morning. So I'm not too sure what's happened there because he was the rumoured name to make way for Cristiano. Now, I'm not making any allegations, but it is the Saudi Arabian League at the end of the day. And mm. they've just spent 
$200 million on Ronaldo. I'm sure they've sorted something out. They'll find a way. They will find a way, cash or no cash. They'll find a way. I mean, everyone looks at Saudi Arabia with Ronaldo and go, oh, isn't it sad? And yeah, it is. I mean, mm. you'd expect a player of his standing to finish at a club where um, where it's the, the stakes are a bit higher in terms of worldwide acclaim and playing Champions League, whatever. But the, the Saudi League actually is really well supported. Mm-hmm. The country is mad for its football. Now I'm not, <laughs> I'm not having <laughs> like making watching. a social, uh, making a comment on their, you know, what goes on in that country and yeah. um, how they deal with dissidents and all of that. I'm just purely saying that they absolutely love their football. So they are a football mad nation. They're not just trying to to buy it. Qatar. Yeah. Not a football mad nation. Like they having a look at some of the video, they're going through withdrawal symptoms right now. Everyone <laughs> in Qatar, literally like you, some of their club games have restarted. There's 300 people there. There's no football culture like across the board in Qatar. In Saudi, there is. Ask any Western mm. Sydney Wanderers fan what it's like. Yep. And they had 60,000 people at Al Halal in the Champions League final in 2014. There's a great World Cup as well. The beating Argentina as well, yep. Saudi Arabia. So like, mm. we've got something to come off. Only team to be the world champions. Mm. Yeah. So they, they have a bit more of a football culture, but I still can't quite believe that that's what it's come to for Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you remember that uh, ACL grand final? I think the first le- – or the second leg was in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, first leg here. The the Prince of Saudi Arabia bought every ticket in the stadium and was giving them out for free to the fans. Mm. Three hours before kickoff, they closed the gates because every seat was taken. And there was 12 Wanderers fans in a box by themselves. Yeah. The yeah. Wanderers actually walked out onto the pitch. Mm. They, they weren't quite sure what they were about to walk in. They'd been told that it was going to be a pretty hot atmosphere. But they walked out on the pitch an hour before kickoff and there were 60,000 people there and they couldn't have a conversation with each other on the pitch. <laughs> it was so loud. It was so loud. So you imagine what it was like during yeah. the game. And then one of the great refereeing performances of all time from the <laughs> Japanese ref, who I forget, missed about eight penalties for yeah. wander, uh, for Wanderers against. And, um, yeah, they, they won the Asian Champions League. De- deservedly so. Any international news from the world of football? Yeah, well, look, as a proud Italian myself, I was really upset to see that Gianluca Viali passed away over the weekend. Mm. Um, obviously, I didn't know too much about his playing career. I know him more for his assistant coaching role with Italy at the most recent Euro campaign. And, he kind of spurred on that Italian spirit that Italians all around the world have. And he was one of the main reasons for that win. I think if he's not there, there's, there's, I don't think there's a Euro title for Italy there. So I was incredibly sad to see him pass away and uh, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah. Known in the English speaking world a lot for his time with, uh, with Chelsea, but obviously a great career in Italy before it. And he, he befriended, became close mates with Roberto Mancini in his time at Sampdoria, which were a really successful club in the nineties in Italian yeah. football and, um, yeah, really charismatic type as well, Viali. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, the great man. So, um, yeah, we're off to a quick break. I think we'll do some more transfer rumours and football. If you're a football fan on the mornings this week, um, yeah, we'll bring you plenty of it. If you're not a football <laughs> fan, apologies. We'll give you plenty of warning to maybe switch off and go and make a cup of coffee, but come back to us. Come back to us now because uh, we're going to wrap up the show after this with Julian King who will tell us what's coming up on Afternoons. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, in the dying embers of Monday's show, we've got uh, Julian King, who's just about to light up afternoons. Jules, how's things? Hello, Ads. You know, interesting on the drive-in, you're talking about uh, Jimmy Page. No word of a lie, I almost wore my Jimmy Page Led Zeppelin shirt to work today. Did Sorry. you know it was his birthday? Oh, no, I did not. But that would have been quite poetic if it did. So uh, poor John Coltrane now has to suffer <laughs> with me wearing... When was he born? I'll put him up on... Uh... Yeah, John... Oh, <laughs> the love supreme... 
Uh, Kashmir, wonderful. Yeah, you're right. It's been employed by a number of sports stations and sports productions over the years. As they say, you know, India and Pakistan, they fight over Kashmir. I've never understood why. I mean, it's a good Led Zeppelin song, but not a great Led Zeppelin song. And then uh, Puff Daddy covered it as well, didn't yeah. he? And he made a song out of it. And um, he was a horrible person to tour with, apparently, Puff Daddy. Uh, Diddy, P, Daddy, P, Diddy, Combs. Daddy, whatever his name is, yes. Sean Combs, whatever yeah. his name is. Uh, I was fascinated by this second team discussion, and the both of you seem to be on the same page. So let me throw this hypothetical out to you. Oh, having a second team yeah, to, so, to, so to you follow. said if your team gets knocked out where well, you don't have the stress, you can sit back and enjoy you know, two neutral teams. What if there was a team that you absolutely despised say, and they took on a neutral team? You, you surely would then support the that others. other. Yes. Uh, the team I despise aren't worthy of my attention. That's my answer. <laughs> if my eyes for Inverness. But, 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 but even watching it, I mean, you Ro- can't. Hard to ignore, though. My rivals are Ross County. If Ross County get to the Scottish Cup final, I'm not watching it. I don't care about them. <laughs> so say, for example, I, you know, so say, for example, Newcastle play Liverpool, yeah. and I'm a Man United fan. I'm just going, go Newcastle all the way. And okay. I'm not saying that just because you're in the chair. We're coming for you, by the way. Yeah. We're coming for you. You are? Man United. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Mm. Um... Yeah, we'll be right in five years' time. We'll have this discussion <laughs> five years' time. Oh, you're Saudi backed. You'll be right in a thousand years' yeah. time until no one buys oil anymore. I perhaps. think. Yeah, I think the oil. I think in Qatar, the oil's got six hundred and or the, the gas six hundred and sixty years left. So they'll be around for a while. Yeah, and I think it's a similar situation in Saudi. <laughs> you've got to yeah, I, freeze yourself. Like it, Newcastle's big rivals, is Sunderland. Mm. If Sunderland ended up in a FA Cup final or whatever, I probably wouldn't invest too much time cheering for the other team. It'd be like if Sunderland lose, huh, whatever. And yeah. if Sunderland, Sunderland win, I'll just Bugger. pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Basically. You just, so. just bury it down. Yeah. There. <laughs> I think that there's more love to give than hate to throw. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. I'd rather do that. That is a wonderful sentiment to kick off the year, Adam. Thanks. Yeah. Cause people say, what should we talk about? Why don't we talk the worst? This? No, no, let's not talk about worst. Yeah. Let, let, let's take a glasses. Talk about the best. Full approach. The song remains the same. Led Zeppelin. Uh, we had a VHS that recorded it and I watched it religiously. The tracking got a bit dodgy in places. Okay. Probably not dissimilar to some VHSs <laughs> that you may have passed around at school. Yeah, with true. slightly different content. Adam. Yeah, true. Like NBA highlights. Yeah, correct. A, uh, what have you got on the show? Uh, Rachel Haynes, former Australian vice captain, who yep. was wonderful in, in comms at the Sydney Test, is going to join us to, to wrap up the summer and look ahead to India and uh, talk about Meg Lanning's return as well, the Australian national team, the women's team. Uh, Smudge, Steve Smith's got to be here as well. Uh, the Test, um, what a wonderful documentary that was. And, of course, the new one coming out shortly on Amazon. Uh, January 13th. Probe him about, you know. Head-to-head head with the ch- Netflix doco, those two. Released oh, on the same the, day. The Curios one. Wow. That's a toss of the coin, isn't it? And uh, Trent Thomas from Media Week. He joins us every Monday to crunch the weekend viewing numbers from all the sports. Big Bash doing well. Big Bash is doing well. Channel 7, happy about that. 20,000. I called the game with Dougie last night. Wonderful crowd. Yeah, at the ground. Yeah. 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 One-way traffic. Our mate Socky didn't play, sadly. He didn't? What's wrong with him? Uh, He's got a pulled heartstring, I think. No, no, he's he's got a a, a dicky hammy. I think he's managing himself now. He's 38 years young, Stephen. I wonder if Socky was managing himself at the Wharf Bar on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I just wonder. No, which is why he's managing himself now, I think. Exactly, exactly. Look forward to the show, Jules. Thanks for that, mate. That'll be a fun-filled three hours coming your way on SEN. We're back at a moment to wrap up mornings.